On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I give you an update on the week where a cold wrote me off and I answer your questions, including one about what it's like to DM slide the blue tick. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 143 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is the place where I tell the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own and sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. Now, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I hope that you can tell no difference because if you're watching on YouTube, you'll realize that we're in a completely different setup to usual and the microphone isn't on the stand. It's in my hand kind of being hovered below my mouth. Hopefully it sounds okay. Hopefully this looks okay. If you can't tell, if you haven't realized I'm in Corby at the moment in my bedroom, welcome to my bedroom. I don't normally record in here because I don't really have a setup that that works and looks okay. But I realized that the more that I want to record this podcast video, the more that I want to do things like standalone YouTube videos eventually somewhere down the line, I'm going to need to at some point work out a setup for this bedroom here because I spend one in every three or so weeks working here from home. And so this is the the very first attempt, the very first iteration at it. It's nothing fancy. We've got the camera here, which by the way, this is the third time that I've recorded this episode. I've got five minutes in two times prior and the camera has cut off at five minutes. I couldn't tell why. It's something to do with a temperature control setting in this camera when you're recording in 4K. Um, I think I fixed it now. So hopefully you're hearing this and I haven't had to restart for a fourth time. Uh, We've got a ring light here, nothing fancy, just to brighten me up because this room is dark on camera. I don't know why. Um, And the SB seven or the SMB seven. I couldn't think of the name of the microphone there in my hand, not on a mic stand because there's nowhere to put it. Um, if you listened to last week's episode, you remember me saying that I had a bit of a cold and I kind of played it down at the time because that's all it was. It was just like a very minor cold at that point. I could feel it coming on for a few days. I thought, you know what? It's not COVID. I've done some tests. Um, and so it's just going to be this very minor thing that passes in a couple of days that I don't need to worry about. I was so wrong, literally almost immediately after I finished recording last week's episode. So like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week have been an absolute write-off. I mean, I've got done what I've needed to get done, but it has been a massive struggle. I had to kind of abandon my morning plans and habits because I just didn't have the energy. Um, I've had to kind of finish early. I literally went to bed yesterday at 3 p.m. And I slept until 6 p.m. And then I got up for a couple of hours to have food. And then I went to bed again and slept for another 12 hours. Um, This cold has been tough. This is genuinely the worst cold or flu. I'm not sure which one, because of course I haven't done a test to work out exactly what it was. All I know is it wasn't COVID, but this is the worst cold or flu I've had in so, so long. And I think because since 2012, like I say, sorry, 2020, um, still got a bit of brain fog going on. This is twice. I forgot what I'm saying in the space of about two minutes. Um, since we've all been avoiding COVID and focusing on COVID and thinking about that, I think I have kind of forgotten how miserable a proper bad cold can be. But I've relearned that this week. This has been terrible. And something else 
that I've learned during this period this week is that I think I need to get better at understanding when to slow down, understanding when to scale back and listen to my body. Because Monday morning, despite the fact that at that point I felt like the cold was kind of getting the better of me, I still woke up at 6.30 in the morning. I still rolled out of bed when it was dark outside. I got in the car, I put the audiobook on, I went to the gym, I did a workout, I came back, I did my whole kind of early morning, high energy, high intensity routine. Then I worked all day um, and then it got to the end of the day and I was just absolutely ruined. And I think it's probably in no small part because of how hard I tried to go on Monday on a day when I probably should have been scaling back and focusing on recovering because I wasn't doing that. Tuesday was dreadful. It was so bad. Like it was a struggle to just be awake. The same with Wednesday. Fortunately today, I'm a little bit better. I haven't had to have any Lemsip or paracetamol or ibuprofen or the anti-nose congestion spray. I don't even know what you'd call it. Like I'm not medicating today and I feel okay. I feel like the symptoms are subsiding, but Basically, the summary of this is me saying that I need to learn when to scale back because it's just a, it's a go-to method of mine, right? When something gets challenging, whether it's in the business, whether it's in this kind of content production, or whether it's just something in an area of life that I want to improve, I almost enjoy taking the difficult path, right? I enjoy trying to push myself to see how far I can go, to see what I can get done. And for the most part, that is a fairly successful strategy. But in the context of trying to beat a random viral infection that doesn't care about how motivated you are on any given day, this week has taught me that that's a terrible idea. So moving forward, if I am ill, I'm going to listen to my body and not try and push through it, which is an obvious thing, right? But like I say, when, when your go-to in life is when things get difficult, do more. When things are hard, work more build more habits, try more, put more effort in. It sounds obvious to say it out loud. Of course it does. But on that Monday, when I was like, I'm just going to fucking push through this, it seemed like the most obvious thing in the world to, to not focus on that, to just push through it, to ignore it, to almost pretend that a mind frame could get me through it. And I'm, I'm speaking as if this is deep, it's not as a random cold, but my point is the cost of me trying to push hard on Monday was the Tuesday and Wednesday and the most part of Thursday, and let's be real, probably tomorrow, Friday, is going to be a write-off. Um, so I just need to listen to my body a little bit more and be sensible when I'm ill. And with that in mind, because I haven't done much this week, other than actually Tuesday, I went to London and saw Max Fosh. He did a very small, very intimate work in progress run-through of the stand-up show, uh, Social Butterfly that he's doing tonight, Thursday at the Palladium. He did a run-through of that for like £7.50 per ticket above some pub in Camden. That was very funny. I would recommend you go and see it, but by the time this episode comes out, of course, the Palladium show will have been and gone. But if Max does tour that show again, uh, it's the one that I saw maybe this time last year in Cardiff, but he's made a lot of changes since. It's very, very funny. It was very, I don't know the word, not awkward, but like funny, awkward to be in that tiny room. Um, it was just good. So I went there with a friend. That was all good. Other than that, haven't really been up to much. So on my point of trying to scale back and do less, when I realized I should do less, I have some questions. I put on my Instagram yesterday, a little poll asking for people to share questions that I am now going to answer. And there are a handful. I don't know how many I'll get through. 
as many as my voice will allow me to, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> we'll start from the top. Kevin asked, what is one thing um, people are genuinely surprised to find out about you? What is one thing people are genuinely surprised to find out about me? Now, when I read this question this morning, my mind went to what are people surprised to find out when they speak to me, right? When they meet me in real life, when I become somebody's friend or whatever it might be. Because of course, I pump out a lot of content on things like Instagram and on things like TikTok and YouTube and this podcast and tweets and everything. And so as much as I feel like the content I produce is the real me, i.e. it's parts of me that I feel compelled to share on the internet, it is still just that, right? It's parts of me that I feel compelled to share on the internet. And I make no secret of the fact that in a lot of ways, let's go back to the content related identity crisis I had in the middle of the year. Like all of this content is feeding into things, right? All of this content is feeding into one day being able to be hired to do talks and get paid a ridiculous sum per minute of my time to stand on stage and do this kind of talking, but in front of people because the audience is there. This kind of content is there to help me shift copies of that book in a couple of years time when it eventually comes down the line. So whilst the content, whilst this is really me, it's a part of me. And I think if I reflect on people who I've met through the internet or people who see the kind of online version of me first and then interact with me in real life. I think what surprises people is, and this I sound like a twat saying this, but I don't mean it like this, but people just realize how normal I am, right? Because my content is fairly polished and it's these little, particularly with things like the TikToks and the reels, it's like 60 seconds of me saying something that's like tightly edited and there's a really coherent singular thought that's being shove down your throat and it's like, do this thing, listen to this. And then you meet me and you realize that, of course, this is obvious when I say it out loud, but just like everybody else, I have flaws and inadequacies and insecurities and things that make me feel uncomfortable when I do silly things and I say silly things and I'm a bit awkward at certain times, right? And even as silly as this sounds, like I'll talk to people in DMs, for example, and they were like, oh, I didn't expect you to be like this. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, your content's so professional. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm just a person, right? Like when I'm messaging someone, of course, I'm just going to be me in the same way that you are you in the same way that anybody is anybody. And so I don't think that I'm that much of a uh, Pandora's box of random things that surprise people when they get to know me. I don't think that there's anything really that I haven't already in one form or another disclosed on this podcast, right? We're 143 episodes into it. I've basically shared every little element of my life at some point. But I think the thing that seems to be a recurring theme of people being like, whoa, this surprised me is, of course, in the same way as everybody else, it's just a normal person. I'm just a normal person who happens to make content that is guiding towards a singular aim and therefore is slightly polished I'm not sure if that answer was in any way useful, but there we go. It's a good question. So thank you for asking it. Um, Marcel asked, what's the update on the allergy investigation? And then he put in brackets, did you talk about this on the podcast? I think I spoke about this on the podcast. You're going to have to tell me if I haven't. If you don't know what I'm talking about, let me give you the briefest amount of context. So randomly, a few years ago, I would eat certain foods. I would start coughing. And I assumed that that's just what happens when you eat shit processed food because it was all it would always happen after things like the uh what's it called the chicken burger that mcdonald's do um i don't know like the spicy mayo chicken burger thing that mcdonald's has actually just discontinued that thing 
it would always happen after that. Um, Morrison's meal deal, uh, pasta, spicy chicken pasta from the salad bar, it would always happen after that. Bunch of foods, right? And I always assumed that this was just a thing that happens when you eat shit foods. I thought nothing of it. But then around a year ago, it started getting a lot worse. Like I would eat foods and uh, for example, the spicy chicken pasta from Morrison's is a really good example. It would properly write me off for the rest of the day. Like I'd have this really sore kind of heavy throat and cough. And it was almost like, I don't want to go into details. It's a bit minging, but basically bad, bad cough from eating certain foods. And so I did a call with the kind of online GP service that we get through our health insurance. And they referred me to an allergy specialist. I went to see the allergy specialist. He did a bunch of tests, um, like the prick tests and stuff where they prick your skin with certain allergens to see what you're allergic to. Uh, it turns out I am asymptomatically allergic to house dust mite and two different types of pollen, which aren't present in food. So it didn't solve the problem of what, what is causing this, right? Um, I think the update, because they did a bunch of blood tests, they showed nothing. They did the prick test, that showed nothing. There was no food allergen present in that test, which caused an allergic reaction. Uh, the doctor who's, I was going to say that the allergy specialist, he has like a, a, a doctor name type, don't know what it is. The guy, the guy basically said he thinks that it is my mast cells, I believe, uh, reacting with E numbers in certain processed food. So it's not an allergic reaction. It is a chemical reaction in the body where my mast cells, whatever they are, uh, have an adverse response to a certain E number, a certain chemical that is found in, for example, that chicken burger thing from McDonald's, that pasta from Morrison's. And he essentially said that you have two options, right? Number one, you can stop eating any of the foods that contain this stuff and therefore, um, or sorry, any of the foods that make me cough and therefore the cough will eventually go. Or number two, you can take the complete opposite approach, which is actually the one I'm doing, which is carry on eating all of these foods, but keep a diary of which foods cause it and when. And then when you have a list of between 10 and 15 foods, which cause it, at that point, you can then compare the kind of ingredient profile of each of them, see if there is a common chemical, a common E number in all of them, and then avoid foods that contain that. Although, weirdly, because I've been doing my, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my very prescriptive breakfasts and lunches for the last few months, because for the last few weeks, particularly, I've been trying to eat really clean, trying to eat fewer processed foods, I don't really have the cough anymore because I'm avoiding just by design of this whole habit thing, nothing to do with the cough, but I'm avoiding the food that cause it. Um, so interestingly, until I read that question, that's something I haven't really thought of in the last few weeks, but I guess the update is the doctor didn't know exactly what it was. His best guess was it is uh, an E number, which I am reacting adversely to. We will never know is the summary, but I'm okay. Thank you for asking. I don't really have the cough anymore because for once I'm eating like an adult. Um, Becky asked, why do you have the worst immune system known to man? Becky is a student nurse, so she is qualified to say this. However, I don't think I do. The last time I was ill, if I remember correctly, was December last year with COVID. Since then, other than the cough thing from the food that we just spoke about, which is that immune related? I don't know. I guess it's some sort of immune response. I don't know. Either way, other than that, I think I've been okay for a year. 
that's not bad going. I've gone 10 months without catching anything. And I travel a lot, right? I'm out and about, I'm in meetings, I'm in places quite constantly. So I don't think I have a bad immune system. I think it's decent. Um, Peter asked, are you going to pay Elon $8 to get a tick? So this is um, Elon Musk, who of course recently bought Twitter, has been tweeting recently that uh, Twitter Blue, which is, I believe, their like paid for package where you can do things like edit tweets and so on. I don't know exactly what it contains. They're going to introduce paid for verification through Twitter Blue at a cost of $8 per month. And so I believe and I haven't been reading the news for a few weeks, so I'm only picking up bits and pieces of this on Twitter when I happen to open it. I believe that the story here is that you will now, at some point in the near future, be able to pay Twitter to have a blue tick to be verified. Will I do that? I don't think I will. Because as much as I humorously base my entire personality on Instagram around having a blue tick, just because I think it's funny, right? It's an absolute free lunch. Um, and I know that Peter's next question that I'm going to get to in a minute asks about this. Um, there's no intrinsic value of having a blue tick, particularly not, dare I say, on Twitter. Because blue ticks on Twitter, maybe up until the point where they become paid for, are a really good signifier of trust generally, right? If you see a journalist with a blue tick, you assume they work for a good organization who has somewhat fact-checked their stories, right? You can kind of trust them. Similarly with a sports person, a personality, an entrepreneur, whatever it might be, when I see a blue tick on there, I'm like, cool, that makes sense. So if ever I was given a blue tick and the, the, the rule system was that of the old rules where you get it through merit, I'd be like, great, that's, that's cool. I'm happy with that. The second it becomes pay to play, in theory at least, the entire purpose of verification as a filter which is essentially what we use it for, right? We call it verified on Twitter, but at least in my opinion, it's really there as a quality filter, right? If you see somebody who has tweeted something and they are verified, you trust them as a source of reputable information. When anybody can pay to get that because they have verified their identity, which it seems is the direction that we're going back to the literal sense of verification with Twitter monetizing this, I think it loses any inherent value. And so there'll be lots of people I'm sure who pay to get a blue tick to then have the ego boost of having a blue tick. A, I don't want to play that game. B, I don't think it's worth $8 because okay, $8 isn't a lot of money, but that's not going to add a hundred dollars worth of value to my life in any given year ever. It's just not, especially when everybody bloody has one. Um, C, if we can do a C, I don't really use Twitter. I was tweeting this the other night. I just, it doesn't fit into the kind of content I produce. I don't get any value really from reading people's tweets these days because it doesn't seem like people use Twitter now how they used to. That might change as they roll out new features under Elon Musk. I don't know, but I'm not going to pay for it because I don't want a blue tick. I certainly don't want to pay for a blue tick. And I think that when you can pay for a blue tick, the whole idea of blue ticks in general lose their value, if that makes any sense. And then Peter's second question, fittingly, is also about blue ticks. He said, how are your stats with the ladies? Now you're verified. Um, now this is funny because as, as much as I'm sure that question is asked tongue in cheek, I separated crucially when I was answering the previous question, what blue ticks are used for on Twitter, which is a sign of reliability, right? A sign of the information that you're reading is somewhat accurate, somewhat there to be trusted. Whereas I think on Instagram, 
dare I say, the purpose of a blue tick is more of like a a status thing. And I, I use that in quote marks because I'm not suggesting that me with my 1000 followers and blue tick has any form of fucking status period. However, that is definitely, definitely how it's perceived. And so some funny things have happened as a result of that. Um, firstly, as you know, there have been, cause I spoke about this before, there was like a flood, a flood of messages the day when I put it on my story, like whoop, verified, um, of lots of people acting as if it's a big deal. And I won't, I won't go over all ground there, but that's just essentially an interesting observation of what we as a society value. The fact that there were some blue pixels next to my name on a random app on the internet, as I said before, seemed to mean more to people than the 143 episodes of this podcast and the countless videos and content that I produced and the guests that I have on than all the things that I put effort into ignored. Blue tick, message, crazy. Um, <laughs> to Peter's point about how does it affect my chances with the ladies, as he puts it. Um, I'll be honest, if, if I'm really honest, there are a couple of things that I have observed since having a blue tick. The first is you have like a 50% chance of getting followed back by anybody who doesn't have a blue tick, right? So it, um, <laughs> what's that song by the streets? Um, oh, I can't think. He has a line from like 15 years ago about how when you're famous, as the song calls it, you can get with anybody who isn't famous instantly, but it's no easier to get with people who are famous. Not to suggest for a second that I'm quote unquote famous. I have a thousand followers, but I'm using that as an example that it's true that on Instagram with a blue tick, when you follow somebody who doesn't have one, when you view their story, when you like their post, 50% of the time you immediately get a follow or a follow back. Crazy, right? Because nothing's changed. Like nothing's changed other than some blue pixels. Um, but then secondly, like I say, doesn't change the dynamic of people with blue ticks. It's almost like there's this, this club of blue tick OGs who are like, oh, but I, I don't need to look at this person's profile. I have a blue tick. Um, it definitely helps, dare I say, with DM slides. I'm just going to be honest. I haven't really tried it out to its max yet. I'm just not really in that that zone of mind right now. I'm in monk mode. I'm not in DM sliding on girls mode. However, of the people who I have messaged out of the blue, it 100% helps with getting opens and intrigue because it's just another layer of intrigue, right? It's like, why the hell do you have that? And it starts a conversation. And then thirdly, and this is the funny one, if my voice lasts out because it feels like it's going, um, there must be people from literally over the years on Tinder, because I don't recognize any of these people. I have no idea who they are, but there must be people from over the years on Tinder who I have sent a follow request to on Instagram and not been accepted. Right. And so you almost never hear from them again because you, you follow them, you don't get accepted, you move on with your life, whatever. I've had like three or four, definitely three, I think maybe four over the last few weeks, four people just turn up on my timeline and I click on their profile and I'm following them. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? I have no idea who you are. And it seems to me what's been happening. Cause I asked Nisha about this, who has a private account a few weeks ago when we went on a walk, she was explaining that when you have a private account on Instagram, you don't accept or reject per se. I think you accept or just leave people kind of hanging in the balance, which means at any point in the future, you can then scroll through that list of people hanging in the balance and accept them. Now, I'm not sure whether people with blue ticks get filtered to the top of that list or whether people have just been bored at nighttime and scrolled their whole list and saw a blue tick and thought, who's this guy and accepted the follow request. But four people 
who I, I I swear to you, I have no idea who they are. So this, we're not even talking like months ago we spoke, months ago. We're talking like years ago. I have no idea who these people are. I've seen my name and accepted because of some blue pixels. So it's all mad. Um, the more I go into this blue tick life, the more I'm demoralized by people's values. But it's fun. It's all interesting. Um, Neve asked, if you never started your podcast, how would you spend your free time? <coughs> Sorry, coughing. Um, good question, because if I didn't start the podcast, I wouldn't have done things like the newsletter, which is back, by the way. I promise it's back. I'm going to tell you more about that in a minute. I wouldn't have started things like the reels and the TikToks and this and that. Like none of the content that I produce, which takes up a lot of my free time, would exist if not for the podcast, because this was the first thing I moved on. I don't know is the truthful answer. That's maybe quite a depressing answer, because it's not like I feel compelled to go and do other stuff right now, right? I have a reasonable social life. I meet up with people occasionally. We go and do stuff that's fun. But it's not like, it's not like I feel like I'm missing out on anything right now. And therefore the kind of four to eight hours per week that I would save if I produced no content whatsoever. So what's that? 8, 16, 32 hours a month of spare time. I really don't think I'd be doing anything productive. I really don't think I'd be doing anything worthwhile. And this is why I'm a big believer that where possible, you should push and push and push and see what you're capable of kind of filling your day with before then backtracking when you need to. Because empty time, time that you don't have a use for, time that just exists that you need to fill, maybe between getting in from work and going to bed, maybe between waking up and leaving for work. If you have nothing to fill it, you just fill it with shit, right? And I won't go into the examples of shit of like, is it video games? Is it Netflix? I don't, I'm, it's not my place to suggest what is good or bad as a use of time. But my point is we fill our time anyway. And so if I wasn't doing something that I consider productive, such as this podcast with my time, I'd be doing something. And so it'd probably be something entirely unworthwhile. And so I think that's an answer, but if it's not an answer, it's definitely a lesson that everybody listening to this, you listening or watching this should try and push more into your day, try and push more into your time because you really probably do have the time to be doing more, right? Like you, you probably have the time if you were to stop doing the things that you just fill your time with. If you were to be more intentional with what you spend your time on, you'd get a lot more done. So there's a lesson there, I think. Uh, do we have any more sensible ones? How do I get Glastonbury tickets? <laughs> I replied to that one directly because they followed up. Um, Adam Horton, I cannot answer any of your questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> they are not podcast friendly. Um, would you rather have willies for your toes or one big toe for your knob? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that, Adam, but anybody listening can answer that if they want. Let me know the answer. Would you rather have willies for your toes or one big toe for your knob? If you're listening, you can answer that in the comments. Um, I think that's all of the sensible questions. So I'll leave it there. Um, I have some more guests confirmed, which means we have four guests coming up in the next few weeks as recordings. Five, if you include Mr. Ali Abdul, who should be rescheduling in January. We hope I'll keep you up to date. Um, I'm very, very tempted to not publish any of these conversations until January. I'm very tempted to carry on with this style episode up until January so that when we hit January, I have five, six, maybe even seven guest episodes banked. That's 14 weeks worth of content between this and guest episodes. And therefore it will stop me falling into the trap as I did. 
towards the end of this year, as I did towards the middle of last year of getting to a point where things get busy. I haven't booked guests and then there aren't guests. I don't know. I'll keep you up to date. Um, newsletter. I've moved it to Substack. I'm launching a Substack. I told you I was going to launch a newsletter. I got ill this week. It's been difficult. I didn't get around to it. There will be a link in the show notes of this podcast on Spotify, on Apple, uh, on YouTube, wherever you're listening or watching, and also on my Twitter and on my Instagram some point this weekend to that Substack. Every Sunday, once a week, I'm going to share with you the lessons that I have just learned. So of course, sharing lessons I wish I knew sooner is the whole kind of premise of the podcast and content that I'm doing, right? Trying to share the lessons I learned through life and from life as I go about life. This newsletter every Sunday morning, I'm going to share you, sorry, send you a little snippet of the thoughts that have been on my mind, a little snippet of the the lessons I have been learning recently. And on top of that, I'm going to be sharing with you just the content that I've been consuming that week that has resonated most with me because I consume a lot of content between audiobooks and podcasts and articles and books and whatever else. I kind of take in a lot of value from other people. Uh, and the fact that you listen to this podcast, the fact that you will be on that mailing list tells me that you and I have similar interests. And so as a result of that, um, I think it's just worth sharing the stuff I'm consuming and let you consume it as well. Because most of these lessons that I share come from someone else's mind in the first place, right? Like the thoughts start elsewhere. So why not direct you to the source of those thoughts as well? That is everything. My voice is going. Cos cold. Thank you as always for listening. Hope you have a good week and I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 144 of Life and Lessons. See you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.